and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. In today's episode, we're discussing a historical fantasy novel, The City Beautiful by Aidan Polidoros. Set in Chicago in the late 1800s, Romanian Jewish immigrant Alter Rosen is swept up in a citywide mystery after his bestie and crush Yakov is killed. Uh, spoiler, but it happens like really quickly. And so sorry, not sorry. Also, that's why you listen to this show is for spoilers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't guess it was queer, then uh, what show do you think you're even listening to? <laughs> There's an anarchist sidekick, some possession and lots of chaos. Let's start out with initial reactions. You can go first. <laughs> I started this novel and could not put it down. Writing style hooked me instantly and I filled up the pages with sticky notes. So I think we'll have a rich discussion. I don't know if it was my favorite that we've read, but for some reason it just hooked me. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm here for this ride. I, on the other hand, wasn't super hooked on this story. I went in with zero expectations about what it would be like. And while it was fantasy, it was also like a historical mystery. And I'm not really big on either of those genres. I love them both in TV or film, but I just don't love reading them. Uh, but I thought the piece pacing was really good. And it was a fast moving story. I did really like Alter and Rizal. And I also listened to the audiobook, which was narrated beautifully by Maxwell Glick. So it wasn't my favorite, but I could see like why people enjoyed this book or really like this story. recommend if you like i put devil in the white city by eric larson which i read a long time ago but it's literally like a series of murders around the chicago world's fair so does that sound familiar it's like the book we read so yeah yeah i also thought of that book even though i haven't read it (laughs) because it got a lot of hype there back in the day when it first came Mm -hmm. out this sort of like eric larson historical realism but it's also kind of fiction i don't know it's like oh i have no idea (laughs) I thought maybe like Outlander. I haven't read or seen it, but it feels like they might have like similar vibes, like light fantasy and like historical. Like if you like that, maybe you like this too. I know there's like romance in Outlander that's like way more heavy handed than the romance in this, but I don't know. I feel like if you like those things, you'll probably like that. Sherlock Holmes, books, movies, TV shows, like there's so many iterations of Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. And this like kind of gave me Sherlock Holmes vibes with like, without like, like the mystery wasn't the central point of the story, but it was like a big part of the right. story. And I think the Grisha verse, maybe like, I think there was mention of Grisha in this book. So I guess that's based on something out of the lore. I think it's a nickname for Grigori, the Russian name Grigori. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea. But I also think that maybe um, Lee Bardugo is Jewish, maybe. Maybe I've heard her talk about that before. I don't remember. So could be pulling from that kind of history and lore yeah grisha verse what is it ravka is definitely modeled on russia eastern europe so lots of there were a lot of eastern european immigrants in this book Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so why did we choose this book jesse um this book was recommended to us by the wonderful roro underscore siri on instagram who always has really strong book recs they send us lots of stuff so we really appreciate that um and we hadn't had any books that were had like ex- explicit Jewish representation. So we thought this would be a good time to bring that in. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. I'm kind of curious to talk about Chicago because it's a city we're both familiar <laughs> with, right? 
mm-hmm, not this mm-hmm. version of Chicago. No. <laughs> so the city, one, one thing I really appreciated it is like it is not idealized at all, but like rather shown for mm-hmm. the corrupt and colonial like structure and position that it is like. Um, they talk explicitly about how the economy is built on slaughter. So there's a lot of slaughterhouses. You know, we see Pinkerton police. So like early enforcers, like trying to keep people from organizing for their rights, for labor rights, like shitty, corrupt political figures, et cetera, et cetera. Should I like pause in the middle of my long diatribe of notes for no, you to please, like? <laughs> go ahead. No. <laughs> Kelly did most of the note taking. It's really like a little episode. bit shocking. It's like a cold day in hell, everyone. It's like a little break. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to listen to Kelly talk about this book that she really enjoyed. And I didn't so much. So like it, it makes exactly. sense. It all tracks. Exactly. It all works out. Right. <laughs> One thing on page 19 that like kind of caught my eye that I'm just like, as a settler trying to come to terms with like it wasn't an inevitable result like the, res- the where we are right now like our you mm-hmm. know we're living in some white guys imaginations from you know the 15th century you know <laughs> mm-hmm. so like there was a, a comment on page 19 about like the reflecting on the ever-changing nature of the city and the like in the novel was like framed as the supposed inevitability of the expanding into the marshlands which like as chicago as a city like that is what happened right but at the same time Mm -hmm. i'm thinking like it's those ways of thinking that like it's inevitable that we expand it's inevitable that we commit ecocide it's inevitable it's like no those are a series of choices that people make so i don't know that just kind of like stood out to me yeah and kind of thinking about like westward expansion and like how we're like we have to get to the other coast like go from the east to the west you know so we this I guess in this book we're seeing it happen on a much smaller scale like within this city I actually don't know if Chicago's a big city maybe I don't really know (laughs) we've just kind of been there I've been there a few quite a few times (laughs) there were just like a lot of comments about how um like segregated the living conditions were in the city like mm-hmm. Lake Forest as a suburb, not allowing Jews, which fun fact, I did it. Yeah, that's where this person was born. So Lake Forest Hospital. Oh, I didn't know I think that. they did allow Jews in the early 90s, though, hopefully. So. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, just like revealing the segregated nature of everything, especially early, you know, on when the cities are developing. Yeah. And this is probably a good time to remind everyone that Chicago is still a very super segregated city. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really good episodes of Code Switch that talks talk about like redlining. Um, and oh, there's a book that I read and I can't remember the name of it. It'll come to me anyways. But they kind of talk about like black people moving from the south up to Chicago and like the segregated nature mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, where they were allowed to live, where they were allowed to buy homes. They weren't allowed to buy homes um, and how that still affects Chicago today. So good to think about because i feel like a lot of people pretend like chicago is not segregated it is (laughs) let's stop kidding ourselves (laughs) so we get this kind of like core geographic center of axis of the novel of maxwell street which is essentially a street where a lot of the eastern european jewish immigrants have congregated there we get the like scenes in the boarding house and also like other community spaces like the shul i just thought that this was like a very robust part of the world building you know, the, like attention was paid to like the the kinds of spaces, settings that the characters would have actually found themselves in. 
Yeah. I also really liked how this like kind of depicted like um like you mentioned like the places that they lived because I I think sometimes we think of like when we read like historical fiction and this isn't like that that long ago. I mean, I know it's over 100 years ago, but like <laughs> you know, like we kind of romanticize like oh, these cities, bustling cities and like things like coming up and but like people are living in really poor living conditions and we don't really see that a lot in like media um unless it's like explicit like we're following that story of a person so it, I, I liked seeing this in a YA novel because I don't think it's something we see even in historical YA very often very good point another point they're like using historical events as jumping off points like the world's fair and also the Haymarket riot I think like maybe the degree to which a person can be immersed in or enjoy the novel might depend on like whether or not they have a bit more background about the world's fair or they might get more out of it if they like know that the Haymarket riot was like a famous workers uprising in the late 1800s in Chicago yeah I feel like this kind of could be like kind of a lot of historical like markers for a YA novel like I don't know how many young people like you're not going to learn about we don't really learn about riots very often in school unfortunately (laughs) um yeah, they kind of keep that, like pretend like, you know, everything. They pretend like out. this eight hour um, workday just happened. No, friends. Yeah, People exactly. Die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was cool because I think like a young person who might be interested in history, like this gives them some things to like look deeper into if it's something that they're interested in, um, which is kind of cool, you know, like for kids who like to learn that kind of stuff. But give them little markers to like look to when they're like, hey, I didn't know this was a real thing. You know what I mean? Definitely. Oh, my gosh. So much food. Mm-hmm. Rugelach, babka, like kugel. Is that how you say it? I think so. Yeah. Anyway, there's like a vast tradition of Jewish baking in general. And it's just like mm-hmm. incredible, enormous. I loved it. And it's just like, <laughs> how many of these baked goods have you made, Jesse? I was reading this and I was like, oh my God, I do not have enough pastries on hand to be reading this right now. Yeah. I've made babka and challah, which I don't think challah was actually mentioned specifically in the mm-hmm. story, but you and I actually made that together when you were visiting This me. is like <laughs> ringing a bell now that you bring it up. <laughs> yeah. It's like a braided loaf. I think we made like a plain one. And um, I've actually had cinnamon sugar challah, which is so delicious. And then my husband and I made bagels and I just like kind of oversaw it because he wanted to make it, but it's on my list of things to make. And that's a fun one because you have to like boil and bake it and it's like a different kind of bread. So I'm excited to make bagels again and like, you know, give it a try. But babka is like one of my favorite things to make and it's so delicious. I make chocolate babka. <laughs> oh, so good. Now I'm just salivating. So good. Have you made any of these things? I know you made challah because we did I it apparently have made challah. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the record now. Um... You know, I don't think I've made, I haven't made like hamantaschen or any of those like other kind of, no, no, I don't think I've made any other like Jewish baked goods. I yeah. enjoy bagels. Or, or we saw it on Bake Off. A lot. <laughs> bagels are so good. <laughs> or remember that Bake Off where like nobody knew what babka was and then I realized like there aren't that many Jewish people in the UK because I was like, how do you not know what babka is? Like there's a whole Seinfeld episode about it. Like what? And it's just like a cultural hole like a cultural void in the uk there you go yeah they just we have a lot of jewish people in the united states i didn't realize that other places Mm -hmm. didn't (laughs) and well like we get into we see kind of why you know in the story which we'll get into later (laughs) so another like massive facet of the world building is the jewish religious traditions all of the different religious concepts like rituals and also yiddish words are definitely key to the city beautiful's world building which i thought were like i enjoyed that it was like a really 
a big part of like the language and you know all the other like i like perspectives and frameworks in the book yeah and i saw a review that the book had like a yiddish glossary at the end which i thought was really mm-hmm. cool um there was also a lot i thought you could glean from the context clues because i listened to the audiobook um, but i also watched a ton of golden girls and the nanny growing up so i felt like i was like i've heard these words like my whole childhood because <laughs> those have jewish main characters in them mm-hmm. um which is pretty awesome that we had that in like the 90s and i don't think i feel like i haven't seen that many tv shows now with main jewish characters so could be interesting to see it in a more modern context. Let's discuss all things magic. I would say our main magical happening was the possession by the, mm-hmm. you listen to the audiobook. How do you pronounce this? D-Beck? 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 I wrote D-I-B-E-K to help myself remember. Apparently it's D-Y-B-B-U-K. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh, and there's also alternate spellings, but like, depending on mm-hmm. the source, it can be like an evil or unclean spirit, or even just like an unhappy dead person, which is what we get in this. Yeah. In this uh, case with Yakov, yeah, this was the pretty much the only magical facet, right? Yeah, and I was kind of surprised that there wasn't more fantasy because it is like clearly marked as fantasy historical fiction than like LGBTQ. IA plus, which I'm kind of like, I don't know if that's just a genre. <laughs> it's just, that's a group of people, but yeah. <laughs> um, like it was marked as those things. So I thought there'd be more fantasy elements Agreed. to it, but I guess this did play like a pretty big role. And I guess he does have that neighbor whose name now I don't remember who can like read people's futures and like does the matchmaking and stuff. So maybe it's kind of like some of that as well. We might think of as like magical elements, but mm-hmm. it kind of also ties into like maybe ties into their belief system, but I wasn't sure about that. That kind of takes me to another point that I wanted to talk about in this. Like, it's a great segue to this general point about like the, the more mm, nebulous connections between like the mysticism strains of religions and how close or Mm -hmm. how they just go over into like magic, you know, like I took a, yeah, like a, I took a history of magic class actually. And so we read like ancient, Oh, that's cool. Jewish, spells like magic spells for creating golems for creating like protection spells or the evil eye like if you wanted to like curse someone Mm -hmm. and then they're also we're the the person taught at tel aviv university um but yeah we're just reading like ancient coptic egyptian spells too so it was like reading people are they they were like literally religious figures this is more ancient times right but like in the Mm -hmm. business of magic Right. So you'd go to your religious figure for a talisman or for, uh, you know, a curse or whatever. So like their religion and magic, kind of like science and magic, you know, they're actually more like two sides of the same coin rather than different things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we think of them as so like separate because um, we often, I think, think of like America as like this Christian nation and like magic isn't allowed, you know, like all that stuff. Um, but I actually don't know that much about Judaism to even like know that much about their belief system. So it was kind of interesting to see how like the magic elements played into this. And like, obviously I don't know, like uh, I feel like in media, we mostly, mostly see people who are like culturally Jewish, but not religiously Jewish. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to see that, like see both sides of that in one story that I feel like we don't often get, but yeah, I have, I was like, it was it was very intermixed like the magic the religion like those things were mixed together and i thought that was really Mm -hmm. cool 
I also got really stoked for an exorcism that didn't happen. I felt like it was a missed opportunity. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I thought we were going to get like a little bit of a horror aspect. And I think somebody did actually mark this book on Storygraph as like body horror. I think because Alter was possessed. But then we like don't see like the exorcism happened but i'm like like, where are the cool like (laughs) lift into the air like i'm thinking like stranger things you know where the like people Mm -hmm. are like their bones are crunching yeah yeah exactly that's when i think of body horror that's what i think of you know um yeah me too yeah yeah, i thought that 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 would have really i mean i that's not what this book was trying to be but i kind of missed it a little bit i did want to see it though yeah agreed (laughs) and then final thing that i mentioned under ones out is like I feel like almost every book we've read so far this season is about names as prophecies and talismans. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess what, I don't know what that's about, but I'm just putting it here. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's a new thing we're just seeing in YA happen slowly over time. I think most of the books we've read this year so far came out in the last year. So maybe that's just going to be a thing. Like, chosen one narratives you know (laughs) we'll see we'll see i don't like yeah it does Mm -hmm. kind of veer on chosen one ground which is like not my Mm -hmm. favorite story to be honest not my favorite archetype but agree i'm not gonna like write it off if someone's gonna do an interesting spin on it you know no yeah now we're going to talk about conflict villains and good and evil in our segment get me kylo ren we definitely should put a content warning at this in this episode i will um you know at the beginning but just anti-semitism in general and all of the violences Mm -hmm. both small and massive that stem from it like that was the core message i think for me yeah and i think content warning for discussion of sexual assault in this section yeah, so as Kelly was saying about um, anti-Semitism, and I think that can also be paired with, like, capitalism as well. So, like, Mr. Whitby is anti-Semitic. He, I mean, he says so himself. Um, and he's also trying to make as much money as possible through, um, uh, like, tearing down the, like, uh, I don't know what I wrote here. <laughs> tearing down, like, immigrant housing. Um, gentrifying things. Yeah, he, so he wants to yeah he wants to tear down like the affordable housing even though like it's like not great living conditions for the people living in those areas but like it is an error area that is like a jewish neighborhood and he and he wants to make more money in that neighborhood by building like more expensive housing so um in this story i think we can see like anti-semitism and capitalism kind of going hand in hand um but obviously i think anti-semitism you know is the like big thing in this book that is like like people are saying very bad things about Jewish people and they keep calling them like Christ killers. And I'm just like, you guys know Jesus was Jewish, right? Like, <laughs> like what is going on? Like you should be mad at Christians, like, pretty sure. Or I like know. Romans. Yeah. But like, whatever. Yeah. This all happened a long time yeah. ago. So get over it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but also the, yeah. Anti-Semitism is also the core motivation behind the serial killer that mm-hmm. is, and, mm-hmm. you know, his diatribes at the end are just like so horrific. And, you know, I didn't want to put yeah. any, any of that in here. Like we don't need to rehash it out. Yeah. But, um, Mm-mm. yeah, just the, the degree of hate and ignorance, um, that animates people's yeah. actions is just like really repulsive. Yeah. And the author, um, did leave, I don't know if, if your book had like an author note at the end. They did. And there was also a content um, warning at the beginning. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't think I had a content warning in the audiobook. Um, but uh like the author did talk about, you know, growing up Jewish and like, you know, some of the um anti Semitic um hate crimes that have happened in the past few years, just talking about how like that kind of spurred them to write this book. So um mm-hmm. I thought like when you interweave like your own personal experiences into the story, it just you just kind of see like how much this like affects people in their day to day lives. 100%. And you were just talking about Mr. Whitby a minute ago, and I don't remember. He, he wasn't in the what? Is he in the Whitechapel Club? Yes. He was like the big person. So. Yeah, yeah. He was the person who like the, brought Frank. There maybe were like a, there were like maybe a little too many villains where I was like, who is who? I can't keep up with all <laughs> these like, people. All of these shitty politicians and, and business people. Like all of these bourgeois yeah, yeah. can go yeah. can go away. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the entire Whitechapel Club just like, how Mr. Whitby is, you know, just I the novel was showing how those types of people tend to come together to serve their own interests. Yeah. Right. So it shows yeah. how the rich organize and mm-hmm. how they do it or and how they like are doing their machinations behind the scenes. Um we also had police not caring about missing immigrants youth and I'm missing immigrant youths and I'm just gonna be a broken record and say police in general. So what well, we kind of see the immigrant population being like um, you know, rightfully upset that they're not getting justice for their, you know, missing community members and at the same time trying to approximate this institution that's like doesn't ser- will never serve their interests and doesn't care about them. Yeah, and they're just like completely incompetent and um I think this is sometimes like and like they like the people in the community are not calling the police when things go wrong because they're like they're not going to fix anything and I think that yep. really tracks into like today's time when we see um communities specifically communities of color not wanting to call the police because they're not going to help and often make situations worse way worse and so that's how we're seeing like you know now it seems like um, a burgeoning of efforts to yeah dismantle the police and (laughs) abolish the police Mm -hmm. defund the police all these things (laughs) which i'm like yes and yes and i would say another like villain point is also this imperative to assimilate it's just almost like a like a gravity that's pulling people towards this like white capitalist overculture that's really like actually just repressed and devoid of like joy. So can confirm like not good over here. Don't come over here. <laughs> <laughs> the grass is not greener. Like, yeah, but I, I thought that the the author did a good job showing this tension, you know, between the mm-hmm. the people, the immigrants who had been here longer and had found success by approximating themselves to to privilege, um, and then are telling the the newer arrivals that like this is how it's done. Yeah, and I think we see that even like hanging on today when we see communities that were previously marginalized and aren't marginalized now kind of like you know kicking the ladder yes <laughs> from below them and not considering how like while they used to be marginalized they're not now and they're also not helping other communities who continue to be marginalized um and it wasn't discussed in this book but libraries played a huge role in quote-unquote civilizing and americanizing immigrants yes. through cultural and language classes so um a reminder that libraries are not neutral and have done really shitty things in the past and continue to do so today. But um, I, I think we see Risel and Alter taking like English classes mm-hmm. and oftentimes, and I think they were taking those within their community, but a lot of times those would be happening um, in libraries or libraries would come into communities and teach people how to be, you know, good Americans. <laughs> Barf. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Frankie was one of my favorite characters, I think. (laughs) What a, he's just like a little shithead, but he, he makes some good comments. I appreciate his class analysis. Okay. He makes this comment Mm -hmm. about theft to, after like Alter tries to, he's trying to like make a point that what Frankie is doing is morally wrong or whatever. And Frankie's like, okay, theft, really you don't say and yet when children lose their fingers to the looms and the grinders they call it industry so it's like mm, it really does depend on your perspective folks yeah yeah and now we have child labor laws so <laughs> exactly people died <laughs> for those too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another big bad character we have is mr Katz. so i kind of got confused a little bit he's also like he so he like works at like this uh, like clothing come or no slaughterhouse. He like runs the slaughterhouse mm-hmm. that where they're like, you know, strike before going on strike. But he's also been assaulting like young boys who come to work for him. Um, it seems like sexually assaulting like grooming them. them. So like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it turns out that Frankie was one of those boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of see him like on multiple levels, just being a piece of shit <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's a terrible person doing lots of bad things to you know immigrant workers on those, mm-hmm. those grounds of workers rights and then like especially young boys um assaulting them and kidnapping them and maybe he's killing them as well that i was not like i think that was just mr whitby killing people but no either way, those two are like intertwined it, right wait mr no, whitby wasn't Gre- killing people it was gregory it was like gregory it was mr whitby's yeah, friend it. or whatever see yeah, yeah. Okay. There's just like three bad dudes and I kept getting them Mr. confused. Mr. Katz even though their names were not was similar. our red herring. I would call it that for the mystery. Like we yeah. thought he was the person yes. and then he yeah. wasn't the person. Yeah, yeah. So also, yeah, there's just a lot going on. But like that part, I was not expecting that to be part of the story. Mm-hmm. And like if you're looking for content warnings, I think another good place to look is Storygraph, which is like you know an alternative to goodreads but people are really good about putting content warnings in and they have like a little header for them which is really nice um so check there before you read the book onward magical friends just as one does not simply walk into mordor one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race class gender and ability this is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate hello anarchism <laughs> oh my god, I love anarchism. Um, Haymarket Riot, Zeitung, Alters Anarchist Sidekick Rizel. Like, yes. I knew that I was like had a crush on Rizel immediately because <laughs> she's like pouring tea, splashing tea on on this like potential suitor who's telling her that anarchism is a pipe dream, which is bullshit, by the way, because there are so many rigorous <laughs> forms of organizing that happen under the umbrella term of anarchism. And I shall not go on my soapbox because I don't feel (laughs) I'm a baby, a baby anarchist. So like I will be be in the show notes with some (laughs) some very accessible intro materials to anarchism because there's so such amazing things going on. And people just like ignorantly write it off as like completely an imaginary like illusion. And that's not true. So. Anyway, done. Period. I look I look forward to the show notes. I don't know anything about it really, so I'm I'm ready to be educated. <laughs> kind of on that, there's like so much about class in this book. Like hard labor, 
shitty wages, zero protections. We see body minds paying the price, you know, with losing limbs or just like, um, you know, being disabled generally. Yeah, the, the book didn't shy away from being like super honest about what this looked like in the material um, world. And also, yes, organizing. Yes, strikes. I feel like it's great that this sort of like the book didn't leave this out, even though it's like potentially a less glamorous, you know, part of the like work that it takes in order to make like any gains. But yeah, I, I thought that there could have maybe it would have been cool if Alter realized that his liberation is tied up with everyone else and he becomes an anarchist and like starts striking for the people. But <laughs> I guess that's my pipe dream. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But yeah, lots of historical jumping off points, homestead strike, in addition to Haymarket riot, also socialist labor party talking about international working people's association. Um, and it just kind of is all underscoring this idea that like alters dad had this, idea about america as a golden medina which is like a promised land or like a essentially and it's we're seeing through alter's eyes that it's really not such a golden medina after all like people pit, put everything on the line and it doesn't love them back yeah and i don't think we can really talk about like labor unions and strikes without talking about the racial issues that like seethe beneath the surface yeah. um so many unions at the time did not allow black people to be part of them and black people who fled the south after slavery slavery ended were often the ones who were strike breakers and often paid much less than those who were striking were originally paid so this one sometimes led to um riots that resulted in violence against black people there's a really good white book nonfiction called a few red drops and it talks about i think the 1902 1906 race riots in, in chicago um uh so that i would recommend it's a really good book but uh now that i'm thinking back on it there weren't very many black people in this book and i don't know if... there were a lot of black people so um yeah. that's a little disappointing to me now that i think about it yeah so yeah but anyways um I really like that this book depicted, you know, people, you know, trying to fight for their rights, you know, labor union striking, like all those things are important. But I think it's also important to think about like the show, social context at the time yes. um, and like the people who were being pitted against each other. So just just things to think about. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thank you. for like, Not awesome. But like, thank it's awesome that you brought this up because like this is. Yeah. Now that you mention it, like, I don't think the author really described skin colors which is usually mm -hmm. code for white is neutral everyone's yeah, white exactly yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah disappointing yeah patriarchy woes just generally dude sucks yeah dad's running away being shit leaving no trace and not supporting their families like mm-mm and just generally. Yeah. Just just patriarchy. Pa patriarchy generally. Yeah. And we kind of see that with like Rizal, like her parents trying to like marry her off and set her up and stuff. Yeah. But I like Rizal because she really pushes back against some of those notions. Uh, and especially like in particular, some of the ones that like are interpreted by people into Judaism. Like I don't know enough to know like what is interpretation and what it actually says. So but like Rizal is really pushing back up against some of those notions of like patriarchy within her culture. Um, 
and possibly within her religion. I can't say to that, but um, I like, like, I like that. I thought it was a cool character to see her pushing back against some of the things that were like deemed appropriate for women at the time. Completely. And we see because of his proximity to Rizal Alter realizing that like some things that he found empowering about Jewish tradition mm-hmm. were actually really oppressive to her. So yeah. we're seeing him, yeah. you know, have like a, a wider understanding and maybe a more nuanced understanding of his culture and his religion. Yeah. Lots of um, representation of the Im- intersecting oppressions that poor immigrants experience. Um, I should say poor white Eastern European Jewish immigrants experience. And we also had um, a talk about a uh, Mesh- Meshunger. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. I think it's Yiddish for crazy person. Right. Mm-hmm. Or an insane person. And we see this like we were talking about. Was it was it last book about like it being used? This title being used as like a way to just um, write people off who are experiencing like real things that should be mm-hmm. paid attention to and given like compassion and space for. Yeah. And I guess like within the context of this story, it kind of makes sense for the times because there were so many things that were deemed as like crazy right. at the time. I'm pretty sure like women would be put in an asylum for reading too many books. Black people were put in <laughs> asylums for running away from slavery. Like, yeah. Like what? Who, why is that crazy? Who, wa- yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, we get, um, talk about the dunning asylum which i don't know but literally can command t dunning asylum chicago google are low is it real um, it is it's literally okay. still in existence it's oh, now wow. called the chicago I mean, is it now like a mental, Reed health mental health center is a state-run inpatient yeah. facility with 150 to 200 beds in the neighborhood of dunning on the northwest side of the city of chicago close to o'hare international airport but like it's saying uh for example a tomb for the living is this the title of a a wbez chicago 2013 story about the dunning asylum oof Oh, I love WBEZ Chicago. Uh, Sign up for their daily newsletter if you want. It's like great. <laughs> okay, so hold on, hold on. Okay, I've gone I've gone down the rabbit hole literally in real time. Like <laughs> the Dunning Asylum history. Tell me. Wikipedia says nothing. Maybe it's just maybe it's not real, but like but seriously, asylums, not cool. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um all right, back to the show notes. God damn it. <laughs> I've gone all <laughs> all off course. Oh my god, the scene, the typhus scene with his dad, with Alter and his dad, where his dad is literally dying and Alter is being super vulnerable about and like sharing that he was like having a really hard time nursing his dad and he's like saying all these shitty things, essentially being like abusive to his dad on his deathbed. And I'm like, oh man, we're getting into the deep cuts here. Like shit. Oof. Yeah, yeah. But it's also hard because I'm like, he's a kid. Yes. Like, as a kid, it's, like, really hard when you have to take care of your parents. Like, I can't imagine having to do Mm-mm. that. And so you're watching it's them also die. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, like, you're not ready to handle these things. Like, no, I don't know. It was a that lot. Was... But, it, yeah, it was tough. Yeah. And I think you would just, like, carry that with you, you know, that some feeling of guilt about that. Would be yeah, hard. really. It really would. Frankie again coming on with some wisdom on page 265 about like power and wealth and how they intersect. And it's like this, he essentially 
describes them as like an overlapping Venn diagram, right? Where if you have like wealth doesn't make you untouchable, but power can, but like wealth can give you power. So like they're not the same thing, but they are related. Yeah. We also get this like depiction of queer men living in a time where that was deemed unacceptable by society and by many religions. Um, I think a lot of religions are like on board now, but I'm not a religious person. So I don't know. People correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously there's going to be sects of like every religion that are like, don't want that, but whatever. Um, But I really appreciated this, like kind of seeing how, like obviously the author doesn't, 100% know how queer people would live during that time maybe they did like some research on accounts um about Mm -hmm. that but I always appreciate this like woven into a story we see I've seen it in like call the midwife which is taking place like in the post-world war ii England a little bit in like I think the first or second season of Peaky Blinders Mm -hmm. which is taking place post-world war one so I just like like the addition of these characters and books um and obviously Alter and Frankie are both like our Uh, are both queer and they're more main characters than we might see in those shows that I mentioned. But I just kind of thought this was cool to see like that depiction in that time period. Mm -hmm. Well, and and at the end we see like essentially like, like Frankie and Alter being like, we're business partners to his mom and sisters, (laughs) you know, and they kind of left it just like that. And I imagine that's like pretty real, like to how people would have have had to play it, you know, back in the day and probably still how people do it today. Yeah. And finally, we can wrap up the section with um, one does not simply read that many books by (laughs) cis dudes on this podcast. And this is the first one. It happened this time. So, hey, I guess we made history today. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go, bestie. Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. Alter and Frankie. We see them, you know, exploring intimacy in not just like sexual ways, right? And like spe- mm-hmm. like experiencing emotional intimacy too, which I think was like really transformative for both of them because they've gone through some shit. Uh, yeah. um, but I thought they were cute together. Yeah, but man. I don't like ship them hard, but I was just like, they seem very different, like very different people. But I guess Frankie's like coming around towards Alter and Alter's coming around towards Frankie, like about what they think is like morally allowed. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Yakov, which mm-hmm. when from the moment he was introduced, I thought the author did a good job showing the like tension between like, are we friends? Is there something mm-hmm. else? Alter's feeling a crush, but is also like really steeped in a ton of shame about it and is really projecting onto other people. Um, but yeah, I thought Yaka, Yakov as a character was, and, and Alter's relationship to Yakov really let them explore the nuances of queer desire, especially when it's like quote unquote forbidden, you know, back in these, in mm-hmm. these times. Yeah. We also see matchmaking as a profession. Um, which I thought some of those co- those scenes were kind of funny. Um, and this character yeah, was, for sure. was pretty. It was like a almost like a like an auntie character, you know, yeah. like in everyone's I feel like it's like the auntie trope. Yes, like in everyone's <laughs> business, like too mm-hmm. too got like too involved, you know, into some esoteric Very gossipy, into some esoteric shit, maybe, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then 
I put in the section death because <laughs> I'm a bit of a goth. Um, but also because my therapist <laughs> was talking about we're just in relationship to everything, you know, our relationship to work, our yeah. relationship to biofam or friends or our inner child or whatever. And so I figured, yeah, we're also in relationship to death. One thing I really appreciated about the book was like how intimate you get with death. Like, cause we see mm-hmm. Alter works at the, is it called the Chevra Kaddish? I think the, I think um, so, yeah. the like essentially funeral home, like the, the last rites, mm-hmm. you know? And so we see a lot of the rituals that happen with death and just like the reverence for it. And it's not, maybe it's just like, from like a white like a waspy my like waspy white anglo-saxon protestant like background i don't know it just seems like there's in in the culture i come from not nearly as much like reverence or space time given to death you know to just like honor it for the transition that it is Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in our segment, Kill Your Darlings. This novel really had me noticing all of the Yiddish words that are in my vocabulary (laughs) slash like quote unquote American vocabulary every day, like schlep, like you're schlepping things to campus. I think I wrote that in a note I sent to you and I did not (laughs) like just now and I didn't even notice. Um, I love the term mensch. It's also like... German for person it's so great it's like a like a a stand-up like a stand-up gent like a good person like a (laughs) like a good dude you know um like schmutz also like schmo I didn't know schmo was like Joe schmo that's like a Yiddish that's like from Yiddish oh yeah oh I didn't know that I say yada 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 on a daily basis (laughs) is that it I didn't know I think so that that, I mean I think I that that's from Seinfeld. Yada yada yada. I mentioned the bisque. <laughs> that's right, abyssal <laughs> for all the older. Yeah. Oh uh, my god. Yeah, there just are like a lot of things that come into like the vocabulary, and I like I mentioned earlier, like <laughs> I watched the nanny and Golden Girls growing up, and there's like you know two Jewish characters or a Jewish character in both those shows, and they would use like a lot of Yiddish in the show, which I didn't really realize wasn't just english words until i was an adult be a good american okay <laughs> assimilate oh wait we take everything yeah. oh wait cultural uh, yeah exactly oh, yeah exactly but it's just interesting like how those things just come into the vernacular like you know we just say them all the time yes <laughs> um i'm also gonna come in with like just a totally random fun fact <laughs> about whips okay so mm-hmm. the main villain guy Gregory, Gregory, whatever. Dragon, dragon dude. It is Gregory. Gregory, yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. He uses a whip. That's his like signature. And the crack is actually the end of the whip breaking the sound barrier. So like, ow. Wild. Ow. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jesse, let's hear it. There is a really great article. <laughs> I got so much I'm stuff so to clear, your darling. I'm so ready. ridiculous. So there's this really great article about the racism that's embedded into events like the World's Fair and how they were used to prop up race science. Um, so there's this article by Rana A. Hogarth. Um, actually, I think she's faculty here at UIUC. Um, and it's called To Excite the Curiosity and Gratify the Beholder, Displaying Dappled Skin and Crafting Racial Identity in the 18th Century Atlantic. Um, so this article is related to Black ethnic studies in particular, and it's kind of long, but it's worth it. Read for anyone who might be interested um, in the ways that like these kind of like 
fairs and sideshows were used during that time to like bring in race scientists and prove like these things about race and culture as related to black people and it's specifically related to uh, related to black people with vitiligo Mm -hmm. um and like how they're not white they're not black but like they are marked as black and there's it was just like a really good article i had to read for a class um i actually don't know why we read it for the class but um <laughs> but hey but maybe it's really good why. and related maybe it was so you could pull it out in this literal <laughs> so I could talk about it now <laughs> um if anyone wants a copy of the article just like hit me up because i have it from the class and but um, paywalls are yeah, it was really good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah anyways i just thought it was really interesting to think about like how these worlds fared. like we think of them as like bringing in all this culture into like one simple place but at the same time it was a way to spread racist ideas right because it's like by whom who is doing the organizing yeah and for whom are they organizing right and yeah it's just Mm -hmm. like they're Mm -hmm. trying to make money they're trying to make everything a spectacle yeah 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 Okay, so there's this, like, one point in the book, (laughs) speaking of the World's Fair, that I just, like, really stuck with me, and I listened to a couple times, because I was like, what's going on here? So, Alter's talking about walking around the fair, and this is from chapter 37, and, like, I'm listening to the audiobook, so it says, there was even a mosque, although I doubted that any worship occurred beyond those walls, and I really didn't know what was going on, so perhaps we're, like, supposed to understand that the religious establishments within the fair aren't actual religious establishments but this like didn't sit well with me Mm. in any way Mm -hmm. um i probably listened to this part like 10 times to see if i was like missing something and it's possible that i did but it stuck out to me and like i'm not jewish or muslim so i look for reviews from muslim authors in particular to see if they had any thoughts about this and i didn't find any it doesn't mean they don't exist but i probably went through like five google pages (laughs) looking for him so i don't know this was just like a really weird one line in the story that stuck out to me where i was just like you're just like oh that's pinging that's pinging off for me that's not that's not yeah yeah that's that's not that's like a little itch that like a tag on your shirt and you're like "Mm -mm, Mm -hmm. that's that's not quite i'm like is this some kind of like dog whistle like thing going on here like i just don't know and it just didn't sit well with me so i just wanted to mention it and bring it up because i don't know what was going on and maybe like I said, maybe I missed something or maybe there's some other interpretation that we're supposed to get from this. But yeah. I did. I was like, bro, I think <laughs> what? And I think it's like also probably sticks out given the there are very few non-Jewish, non-white yeah. characters, you know, like mm-hmm. none. Right. Yeah. In the book. So it's yeah. like the author hasn't given themselves a chance to, you know humanize or develop other kinds of characters from other backgrounds right which is also like you know people are picking their lane and stuff like that so it's like delicate territory you know um but yeah and that's what i'm saying like i'm not part of either of the two groups like i'm not part i'm not muslim i'm not jewish so i'm like don't want to step on anyone's toes it just like stuck out to me and i'd like to hear what other people think or if this was something they noticed or if i missed something Mm -hmm. but i was just like oh i don't mm, doesn't sit good like as you're explaining this i'm like okay i can see your like your generous interpretation that's kind of more how i was interpreting it right it's like these Mm -hmm. people doing the fair installing this like probably caricature of what they think a mosque Mm -hmm. is right but there's not even like it's not serving a community in any way so i don't know yeah yeah Yeah. and for it to be the only mention of 
Muslims in the book just also is just yeah. like, hmm, why would you? I don't know. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of like, well, I don't know mm-hmm. how I feel about it. So I just wanted to yeah, mention it. Totally. This was the time. <laughs> For me, at least the writing style was immersive. And I was like, take me away. Turn in the pages. Even though it like wasn't my favorite book. You know, I was just like, yeah. okay, I'm here. I'll yeah. see how it resolves. And sometimes just books are like that. Like for me, I didn't like love it, but I didn't hate it. It was like not a book I I would like, I probably wouldn't have DNF'd it if we were not listening to it for the show. I probably would have finished it, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, automatically like three stars. But I I just wasn't like that. I don't know. There was just like a lot going on. And there were a lot of characters that, and I think sometimes when there's a lot of characters and it's from first person, it's hard to like remember all the relationships between the person and that one person. So for me, that kind of gets confusing, Mm -hmm. but you know, it wasn't, it also wasn't bad. I didn't like hate it or anything. It just wasn't my favorite. I would give it like three and a half stars. Well, I think also like the murder mystery part of it meant that you had Mm -hmm. to, the the author had to like introduce characters that would then be killed off. Right. So then it's like, who are these people? Why? And then you're not around long enough to like make an emotional attachment to them. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if like mystery is not really your genre, no. like I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest this Neither book would I. because it is more mystery than fantasy. Agreed. I would say. Agreed. Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept slash system slash trend that you hadn't before? I'm so sorry. I hadn't have anything for this section this time, but I feel like I've been doing really good lately, so I don't even feel bad about it. <laughs> Please don't feel bad about it. I have two things for this section. Um, I think I kind of got to this point earlier when I was like about anarchism and shit, but um, mm-hmm. Alter on page 52 is like after he's talking to Rizel about all of the organizing that's going on, he says... Quote, the last thing I needed was to be swept up in someone else's revolution when I was battling my own war trying to get my family here. End quote. And it's like, I reject the premise. It's not someone else's revolution. You're bringing your family into these fucking squalor conditions. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's your revolution, period. You know? Yeah. I think it can be hard not to get like caught up in your own shit sometimes. So I get it. But it's like, yes, and. Yes, I get (laughs) I know. I know. I get it. And I'm just like here in... 2022 being like it's all of our (laughs) revolution everyone (laughs) yeah yeah um and then frankie's gonna have the last word in this section on page 82 (laughs) shame is a word people use to try and control you thanks frankie Hmm. yeah that's a good one (laughs) just just mull that over we'll just leave that leave that to simmer here at the end for all of you maybe don't let shame be used for people to control you yeah yeah are we ready for some card questions we are. sound effects please <laughs> was the writing well paced i think so yeah move the mystery along i thought yeah yeah pretty quickly i'd say like it was, I think it was like a 12 hour audiobook, but it like I didn't feel like I, I mean I listened at times three but I didn't feel like it was like dragging at any point you know mm-hmm. who was the most interesting character in the book Rizal obviously <laughs> no <laughs> doubt anarchist forever she's so cool I just imagine her like walking around in her like you know you know those like patent leather like those cute brown shoes that people wore back in the day in her long skirt and like 
with a jaunty hat on. I don't know why. That's how I imagine just her. Like just like looking super Indoctrinating cool. all the people into the anarchist ways. Yeah. <laughs> Be free, everyone. All the boys who are being brought to her to like marry or whatever. And she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> she's like, here, take this propaganda. You really need it. Yeah, take this pamphlet, please. There's <laughs> this pamphlet I wrote. You need to know this. Okay, thanks. Ugh, Rizel. Rizel. She didn't get enough airtime in the book. She deserves her own book. I agree. She needs her own book. Do you think you'll ever reread this book? Oh, that's no a no way. for me. <laughs> I rarely, not be rarely reread books, folks. <laughs> like literally, hardly ever. Yeah, it's hard. Like I do enjoy rereading a book, but the hard part is like if I'm rereading a book, then I can't read a new one, and then that takes up so much time, and I don't have enough time to even read all the books that I want to read. So, yeah, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. Also, yeah. I really have to love it to reread this book. Like I do reread. Like, like you would reread Legendborn. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I, I've read it like three times. Um, Akatar, but only, <laughs> but only the second one. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Sia Martinez and the Moonlit Beginning of Everything by Raquel Vaquez Gilliland. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you, magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram. You can subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice, and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookstore, bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Wait, before you unclick, record. Mm-hmm. Did you finish? whatever crescent city number two yet i can put this after the credits for people who hang around (laughs) Um, i'm sorry to say that i'm halfway through crescent city number two and i put it on hold to read love on the brain by ali hazelwood like the next book in the love hypothesis series which i don't think are actually interconnected at all um we'll find out um but i'm so sorry i just god damn it (laughs) i'm in I'm actually enjoying Crescent City. I'm not going to like the second one, even though I really didn't like the first one. Um, The second one's better, but there are like five POVs. And I'm like, I don't think we needed this much. It's 800 pages. Man, I I DNF that shit with like two hours left. And I'm like, God damn it. I think I might have even returned it on Amazon out of like on Audible out of like a fucking A. (laughs) But I can't remember. (laughs) I was waiting for you to tell me how it ends and where does come in. I'm going to finish it. Oh, spoiler alert, bro. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. Yeah. Well, I will finish it. Maybe even post a review. We'll see. But it might be a couple months. (laughs) All right. Anyway, stay magical for real, everyone. Bye. Stay magical, friends.